Habakkuk. I'm going to begin reading in chapter 1, verse number 1. I want you to notice in particular how it begins. The burden. Everybody say the burden. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievances? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there, there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Now let's go to chapter 2. Notice the progression. It began with a burden. Chapter 2, verse 1 said, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me. And what I shall answer when I am reproved. Evidently he knew a whipping was coming. (laughs) He knew correction was coming. He didn't know how it was going to come, but he knew God was going to have to say something to him for all that he had said in that first chapter. Verse 2 said, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon the tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. And let's go to verse 4, where he said, Behold, His soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Amen. And let's go to chapter 3. Now it's the prayer. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. And he goes into this long prayer There are selahs, which mean a pause to consider. And then he comes down to one of the most profound, powerful passages of Scripture in all the Word of God. He comes to the conclusion in verse 17 by saying this. Although, everybody say although. Although the fig tree shall not blossom. Neither shall fruit be in the vine. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation, for the Lord God is my strength. Amen. 
I don't even need to read the rest of it. That's enough. But I want to talk to you a little while from this subject. The answer is in you. Everybody say that with me. The answer is in you. God bless you. You may be seated. Though Habakkuk is one of the shortest books of the Bible, don't let its littleness fool you. Because it is packed with some of the most powerful truths about life and God that you will find anywhere. Habakkuk was a prophet who helped to keep alive the faith of his people during very troubling times. Dark depression that had come over the people of God because of their situation. And God anointed him to come to his people with a word. And when Habakkuk first came, he, he didn't have a word, really. He had a lot of questions. He had a lot of things that he didn't understand. When life was strained to the breaking point, there were things that even Habakkuk did not understand. But what I like about this book is that it shows me that I can be honestly open with God and I can talk to God about my problems and God is not offended. Amen. I can bring to Him my questions and God is not angered. That's a great thing to know. I know that that's not true of some of us. Because if our kids ask one too many times, we fly off the handle. When people come back with questions that we feel like we've already given answers to or they should know the answer to, we get angry, but not God. God is not threatened by my questions, and he's not threatened by my problems. And so Habakkuk shows me, he proves to me that I can come to God open and honest with him about the problems that I'm dealing with, and he is not embarrassed to identify with me and my problems. Habakkuk is unique, not in what he says, but in the direction that he faces as a prophet. All of the other prophets that came, came as spokesmen from God to men. But when Habakkuk came, he came from the people to God. He was not facing the people, he was facing God. And this book opens with a scene of injustice and oppression. There was violence and destruction, and it bristles with a lot of critical questions. As Habakkuk brooded over the problems of his people that they were facing, he had some serious questions that he had to ask of God. He was in a mental storm. Have you ever been in a mental storm? When you look at the first chapter of Habakkuk, you find a man whose mind was greatly troubled. So much was in the heart of this prophet in the beginning. The facts of life belied the long-held convictions that he had had in his soul 
what he had been taught from a child about God. They were being contradicted or seemingly so by what was going on with Israel at that time. And he cries out to God. He, he cries out, Lord, where are you? Anybody ever asked that? Lord, where are you? Lord, why don't you do something? Lord, how long will it be before you answer my prayer? Or will you ever answer my prayer? He, like Gideon, asked the question that is in the minds of a lot of people in the midst of trouble. If the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Habakkuk was no different than you and I. He even got angry with God. There was something in him that would rise up when he considered all that was going on. God was not listening. God was not paying attention. God was silent. He was seemingly indifferent to them at a critical time. And Habakkuk was overwhelmed by that. He, it was, as the Bible describes, it was a burden. It was a heaviness that was on his spirit and in his soul. He couldn't get away from it. Morning, evening, it didn't matter. He was troubled at what seemed to be the inactivity of God. And he asked the question, How long, O Lord? How long? How long is it going to be until you answer my prayer? How long is it going to be before you right all the wrongs that are going on? He was troubled by the seeming inconsistency of God. The moral dilemma that Habakkuk struggled with was how could a holy God let a pagan nation judge his own people? And yet that is what God was allowing to happen. The Babylonian captivity was in process and they were coming in and they were ravaging the country. It would never be the same once they left. They would burn. They would ravage and pillage. They would take away the choicest things and they would leave only the elements that were undesired. And God was allowing all of that to happen. And Habakkuk could not understand that. And he prayed, God, hear me. And yet God seemed to ignore his prayer. God didn't seem to be paying attention. He wanted God to do something. Have you ever wanted God to do something so much that you even get angry? I mean, you just, you, you get to that place where you're thinking, well, God, what is the purpose of me serving you anyway? Here I am praying, sincerely trying to do what is right. And when I really need you to do something, you just seem to be in a different world than I am. Silence. Nothing is going on that we think ought to be going on. And he wanted God to do something now. He wanted God to say something. Just say something. I don't know how many times I've come into this place and I've prayed, God, just say something to me. And it's about as quiet as it is right now. God, impress on somebody to call me and just give me a word of encouragement. And the phone is silent. Of all time, my phone is hardly ever silent. But 
when I pray that prayer, God send the message, it's silent. And for Habakkuk, his phone was silent. It rang all the other times with all the troubles and the problems and the unfair circumstances that swirled around him in such circumstances. This man had become like many people become, and that was problem-focused. Everybody say problem-focused. And when you become a problem-focused person, it begins to consume your very thoughts, and you can't get away from it. It's like cancer. It monasticizes, and it spreads throughout your mind and your mental capacities. And so it was to Habakkuk. But Habakkuk's answer was in himself. That may sound strange to you. I thought all the answers were in God. Well, in one sense they are, but there was an answer that was in Habakkuk. And Habakkuk's name is really the message that I want to deliver to you tonight. Because his name meant two things. It meant to wrestle or to embrace. And in this book, he does both of those things. He wrestles and he embraces. He wrestles with the hard questions of life, the whys and the how and the how comes and the how longs. And all of those things that troubled the mind. He wrestles with the idea that God seemingly is not answering prayer. He wrestles with the spiritual decline of the nation of Israel. But more than that, he wrestles with the problem of God's process in working out his will in their life. He had problems with the way God was going about his business he had problems with the way that God was working things out. He wrestled with the practical experience of his own human life. And it seemed to contradict what he knew about God. He had always been taught that God answers prayer and God hears his people when they pray. And yet when he needed God to hear him the most, God was silent. His faith is baffled by the experience of his life. He wrestles with God in the watchtower until he found an answer. The vision that he received in that tower was something that transformed his life, and it will transform your life as well. He wrestled with the problem that many people wrestle with, and that is if God is all good and all powerful, then why doesn't he always answer our prayers for good and right things. And why? Why, if God is good, why does God allow evil and suffering? Those are the questions that baffle us. The skeptic will tell us that he is either all-powerful but not all-good, and thus he does not stop evil, or he is either all-good but not all-powerful, so he can't do anything about evil. Neither one of those are the case. You see, the problem is not with evil. The problem is with focus. The problem is with what he was identifying with. The Bible says that he wrestled with these challenges. 
and wrestling with them had gotten him down. But there was a change that came in his life. And that change was all-knowing. He argued with God about his ways. But as you move toward the end of the book, there is a marked difference in his spirit and attitude. He finds a pathway through the darkness and the tangled web of doubt. And what a vast difference the end of the book is from its beginning. What a vast difference there is at the close of the book of Habakkuk There was at the beginning of it. It began with a burden. It ends with a praise and a chorus of worship. Its end is one of the most powerful praises in all of Scripture. There is a determination that delights over the doubt that has clouded the prophet's mind. The beginning was not what the focus was. The end was where we need to give our focus. He teaches us that we cannot allow what we see to make us fall apart in life. Because what we see naturally is not all there is to life. And God had to take him on a journey. So what took him from the valley to the summit? I believe it was simply this. That God gave Habakkuk a revelation, not an explanation. What you and I need tonight is not for God to sit down with us and tell us why. Because this is one thing I've discovered about life. When I answer that one why, then there's another why that has to be answered. There's some things about life that I just don't understand because my mind is too limited and too finite. But what I need is a revelation. Because when I get a revelation, I don't have to have an explanation. When I have a revelation of who he is, it doesn't matter what is. When I have a revelation of what he can do, it doesn't matter what's going on. And so Habakkuk received a revelation of who he was And what he was up to, and it was that revelation that transformed him from a wrestler to an embracer. Amen. Now stay with me for a minute. He went from wrestling with God and wrestling with all of these problems and wrestling with all of these unknowns and wrestling with all of the mysteries the unanswerable questions of life. And wrestling will never get you where you need to go. The only way you'll get where you need to be is to embrace. And that is the key to the overcoming of a man's life. When Jacob came to the brook that night and sent his family over, the Bible said he remained alone. And something happened. What did it say? That an angel or some kind of being wrestled with him. It got hold of him. I can only imagine what that night must have been like. Because I can imagine what would have happened to me if I was alone in the dark and somebody laid a hand on me. You talk about go to Fist City. We would be down in the dirt and getting ugly. And he wrestled. But that's all that he did all night wrong. He was trying to prove his superiority over 
what this was that had taken hold of him. I can beat this. I can overcome this. I'm better than it. You're not going to get, I don't know who you are. Maybe you're somebody that he, my, my brother has sent. He's caught me alone. Now he's got me where he needs me and he sent somebody to do me in. And so all night long, Jacob wrestles with this being. He wrestles with this, this entity, whatever it is. He didn't even know who it was at the moment. And finally, at the breaking of day, the Bible says that that one he was wrestling with said, let me go. I've got to get away. I've got to leave the days breaking. And Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And there's another word that is used, and it says he wrestled again. But the word he used then was not the same word that he used when he began. That wrestling that was going on in the first stanza was Jacob trying to prove himself. But the word wrestle in the second sense literally meant the embracing of something or falling on something like I fell on this pulpit and grabbed hold of it and I embraced it. And he said, I will not let you go until you touch me, until you bless me. And it was only then that God began to question him, what's your name? My name is Jacob. Your name's not going to be Jacob any longer. Your name's going to be Israel because you're going to be a prince with power. The difference was in him all the time. The problem had been, the focus of his life had been, you know what, I'm going to beat this. I'm better than this. I'm going to overcome this. And all that he did was go through life wrestling with issues and wrestling with problems and wrestling with unanswerable questions. And he never got to where he needed to be in God. But the moment that he quit wrestling and he embraced, he fell on him. He said, I will not let you go until you bless me. That's when the blessing of God came on him. Do you understand me tonight when I tell you that you can spend the rest of your life wrestling with the unanswerable questions of life and you will not be any better off a hundred years from now than you are right now. Because there's some things about life that we cannot understand. But if you could ever get to the place that Habakkuk got to, where he embraced God. He didn't fully understand God's way, but he embraced God. He didn't know why God wasn't answering his prayer, but he said, I, you're my God, you're my strength, you're my source, you're my supply. I'm not going to be trying to figure out what you're doing. I'm just going to trust you that you're going to do the right thing. You can live by faith and embrace God. You can embrace his promises. You can embrace his plan. You can embrace his way. And you will find yourself being lifted out of that spirit of depression that would come when you wrestle with things and you can't get an answer. That's why some people are depressed tonight. It's because they have been wrestling with issues in their life that they cannot seem to conquer and they are frustrated because all of their wrestling efforts has produced nothing but greater frustration. You know what you need to do? You need to quit wrestling with God and embrace Him. You need to throw yourself on Him and say, God, 
I don't have to understand what you're doing in my life. I just trust you that you're going to do the right thing. I don't have to know all the answers. You see, his journey began by focusing on his problem, but he moves to a better place where the focus was through the problem, but he found himself in the final chapter at the best place, and that's looking beyond the problem to a God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. You see, my friend, when you and I are beset by troubles and dangers and questions and fears, we don't need to wrestle with Him. We need to embrace Him. And the key is in you. And this is what it's going to take for you to find that place where you can embrace Him. You're going to have to do like Habakkuk did. In chapter 2, the Bible said of Habakkuk, I will stand upon my watch. And I will get up on my tower and I will wait to see what the Lord is going to do. If you are going to get to that place where you can embrace God and embrace His promise and embrace His goodness, then you're going to have to do it from a higher perspective than you are at right now. You will have to climb a little higher to see what you really need to see. Because you're not going to see or understand or receive the answer that you'd hunger for on the plane that you're living right now. All you're going to see are just more problems. And as long as he, as Habakkuk stayed there on, on that level, that's all that he saw were problems. Unanswered prayers. Unanswered requests. God's not doing what God said he was going to do. God's not taking care of his people. God's not keeping his promise. God's not listening to me. God is distant. God has, has cut himself off from me. As long as he lived on that level, that's all that he saw. And that was the response that came came out of his life. But the moment that he decided, you know what? I need a better perspective on this thing than what I've got. I need to see things from a higher viewpoint. Maybe the way I've been looking at life is a little skewed. And so the Bible said he decided to get up on his tower and just see what God might show him when he got up on that higher level. You know what? It would surprise some of you tonight if you would just climb up up a little higher if you would get up a little higher you'd be surprised at how things would change in your perspective on life you're going to need a better perspective if you're going to have a better understanding climb up a little higher you cannot see what you need to see on the level that you're living Getting a better perspective is the first step in climbing out of the depths of depression. Amen. And you know what? The Bible said, Habakkuk said this, I will. And nobody else can do this for you but you. Your wife can prop you up. Your husband can prop you up. Your friends can prop you up. They can try to push you up. But nobody's going to get you up but you. You can whine and cry all you want to whine and cry, and all your whining and crying is going to do is produce more whining and crying. But as soon as you make up in your mind, there's something I can do about this. 
I don't have to have the answer as long as I can get a better perspective. And so he climbs up on the tower and he said, I'm just going to wait to see what God's going to show me and what God's going to say to me. You see, there was a confidence that if he would change his position, God would change his position. God did just that. Praise God. Somebody say, I need to climb up a little higher. If the only thing that's occupying your mind are your problems, you need to climb up a little higher. If all you ever talk about are your problems, you need to climb up a little higher. If all that ever comes out of you is complaint and whining and why this and why that and I don't understand God and I don't know. I've been faithful to God. I've prayed. I've fasted. I've paid my tithes. I'm at church every time the doors are open. So why doesn't God come through when I need Him to come? If that's what's coming out of your mouth, you need to find yourself a place where you can climb up a little higher because that perspective will change everything in your life. Amen. Not only do you need to climb up a little higher, you have to understand something about life. That all that you see right now and all that I see is a little segment of life. We don't see the whole story. All we see is our little tiny timeline. When you span out the whole history of humanity, our little segment is not even a blip on the screen. And yet if we're not careful, we get to thinking that it's the whole screen, that that's the whole story, that that's all there is. When the truth is, your story is just some small segment. And so the word from the Lord was, you need to wait you got to wait on some things to be worked out. And you may have to wait a long time for them to get worked out. But God's promises come to those who wait. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall... Run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But you've got to learn how to wait for any of that to ever transact. Amen. We hate that word, wait. It's almost like a curse word. It is a four-letter word. Wait. What do you mean, wait? Don't you know who I am? Wait. And yet that's what God said to Habakkuk. Habakkuk, you need to wait on this thing. You you don't even, all you see is just a little bitty glimpse of the whole story of what I'm doing and what I'm working out for my people. You need to understand that there's something that you will not understand until the end. And the end is not yet. But the end is coming. The vision, he said, is for an appointed time. But at the end, it shall speak and not lie. Folks, the end of the story is going to tell the tale. And it doesn't matter what happens in the meantime. 
What matters is what is the story going to say in the end. And I'm afraid that for some folks, the story is going to say they ended their life wrestling. (sighs) Tackling and troubling problems and, and troubling people. And they wasted their life and their energy dealing with problem, 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 problems. When what they needed was a new perspective and it could have changed all of that. You will not be given all the answers that you seek. And you will not know everything you need to know. But God said, tarry, wait for it. Amen. Wait for it because it will surely come. You will have to fellowship a mystery in life. There's some things about life that I don't understand. And I've been trying to live for God for about 54, 50 Something years, right at 50 years, I guess. I get my math. I'm 60. Okay, about 50 years. I've been trying to live for God. There's some things about God that still confuse me. I mean, he blesses people that I look at them. I think, God, why are you blessing them? (laughs) Look over here. (laughs) Have you noticed the holes in my shoes? We look around and see God adding to this one and adding to that one and multiplying here and multiplying there. And we look in our own field and we, and if we're not careful, we become like Habakkuk was in the first chapter. We become a problem-oriented person and all we talk about are our problems and we pray our problems and we worship our problem and we sing our problems and then we start over and we worship and we pray and we sing and we worship and we pray and we sing and we wonder why we're depressed and we wonder why everybody around us doesn't want to be around us it's because we have got the wrong perspective there's something better that you and I can get a glimpse of and that is that God is faithful and if you'll just wait on him God will work it out God will make it come to pass God will produce what you need in the end amen the true test of character may well be found in our willingness to wait When there is no immediate or acceptable answer to our prayers. When you feel all churned up inside and your soul is in turmoil. That's a good sign you need to wait on the Lord. Amen. Some people get so tied up in knots. It'd take eternity to get them untied. What they need to do is just wait on the Lord. Everybody say, wait on the Lord. There's some things you're not going to understand, and there's some things God's not even going to tell you because you wouldn't understand if he told you. I'm not being, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not berating you. I'm talking to myself as well tonight. There's a lot of things about life that even if God sat down with me and explained them all, all they would do is produce more questions. Well, if that's the case, then why this? It's like, kid I grew up with but why but why daddy but why it didn't matter what his dad told him it all it it just kept but why daddy and there are people that grow up around the church and all that comes out of their mouth is but why but why not you're a good test case for God's grace and glory 
What's wrong with God using you and I to produce his purpose? Amen. Everybody said amen. Not only that, but you're going to have to live by your faithfulness. You get that? Chapter 2, verse number 4. He said, but the just, this is the most oft misquoted verse in, in the Bible, I think. But the just shall live by faith. It's not what it says. But the just shall live by his faith. You keep waiting on somebody to pray you out of your misery. What, what you need is already in you right now. It's just not being used properly. The just shall live by their faith, by his faith. But the word faith that is used there in the Hebrew is the word faithfulness to us. So the way to get to that place of praise and worship in your life is to live by your faithfulness. You have to live by your faithfulness, not your feelings. You have to live by your integrity. You have to learn to live by your faithfulness, your duty. Everybody say duty. Anybody know what that is? What's a duty? What's the, what, what, what is a duty? It's a responsibility. You have duties as a police officer. What happens when you don't do those duties? You get fired. You have duties as a husband. What happens when you don't do those duties? You're in big trouble. Now, every morning you get up, do you just feel all gushy in love? No, don't answer that. Every time you put on that uniform and you get in that squad car, do you always feel proud to be a... Not always. Not always. But I do it because I made a commitment that that would be my duty. And there's a lot of folks that all they do in living for God is based on their feelings. They feel good, they come to church. If they don't feel good, they don't come. If they don't feel good, they, they lay back, they don't worship, they just come and stand and twiddle their thumbs. I looked around the other night and I saw people just standing while we were worshiping. I thought, my God, how in creation can people come to church and a great spirit of worship be going on? And they're just kind of looking around like, man, ceiling tile. You know what? There's something about duty. That means whether you feel it or not. You come and you sit on that pew and you worship and you go through it. That somebody said you fake it until you make it. No, you don't fake it till you make it. You just do what your duty is. You have been called to be a child of God. You've been called to be a worshiper. You've been called to be a praiser. So whether you feel like it or not, when you enter into his gates, you enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his court with praise. And you do it because it's your duty to do it. If I only showed up to preach when I felt like preaching, you would miss me about half the time. 
one of them would be tonight. But the reason I'm up here struggling as bad as I am to try to preach a word to you is because it's my duty to do that. I made a commitment to God when I came to an altar that I will live for you. I will serve you. How many of you made that kind of commitment to him when he filled you with the Holy Ghost? That commitment is still intact. I still have that responsibility. And the problem with a lot of folks in life is they live their life based off their feelings. And that was what's going on. That's what Habakkuk was all messed up, his feelings. My feelings have been hurt, God. I mean, I prayed and I put tears on the altar. and You don't even regard my tears. He's feeling. God, you, 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 got, you, you are obligated to help me. And God just stayed silent, quiet, no answer. Finally, he gets up on a tower and God starts speaking to him. He said, I'm going to tell you something about life, Habakkuk. The just, the people that overcome, are the people that live by their faithfulness. You know how to overcome whatever is bugging you right now? Just stay faithful. You know how to get out of depression? Be faithful. You know how to overcome fear? Be faithful. My God, why am I fighting such a devil right now? I feel that spirit right now rising up against some of you right now saying, no, you, you don't know them. They deserve this. Nobody deserves that. I don't care what's happened to you or happened to me. There's something in me that's got to rise up and say, you know what? It is my God call responsibility to be faithful and to show up and to prove to God that I'm not just here for the blessing. I'm not just here for the loaves and the fishes, but I'm here, God, whether you touch me or not. I'm here because you have been good to me and you are my God and I'm going to praise you for that. Hallelujah. 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 Yes, 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 yes. Faithfulness is a lifestyle. Faithfulness is a lifestyle. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's a lifestyle. Whether you feel it or not, you can remain standing. I'm through. I'm about out of wind. As Habakkuk reached this place, God began to show him in verse 5 on down through verse 20, when God began to show him all that he was doing, or at least the part that that Habakkuk needed to know. He finally comes down to verse 20. And he said, But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. And then he begins this prayer. And really it was more than a prayer. It was a praise. It was a song. What is amazing to me is... That his circumstances had not changed one iota. 
but he had changed. The Babylonians were still there. Cruelty was still going on. Things were not going right. And yet something had changed. It wasn't his circumstances. That's what some of you are waiting on, your circumstances to change, and they're not going to change probably in the near future. God changed the man. He changed the man. And God needs to change some of us. He changed him to meet the circumstances. He changed him to beat the circumstances. You cannot rejoice always in your circumstances, but you can rejoice in your God. He doesn't always change our circumstances, but He does change us to meet our circumstances. And what a difference that can make for somebody. God, change me. You don't need God to change your circumstances. You just need God to change you. Amen. And the only way God can change you you're going to have to get out of the mullet grubs and climb up a little higher. Get a little better perspective. You know, it's amazing how different things look up here. I mean, literally. Amen. You ought to come up here and take a look. It's pretty awesome. That's all God's waiting on is for somebody just to make up in their mind. You know what? I'm not doing very good where I'm at, so I might as well climb up a little higher. What I've been doing is not working. <laughs> what I've been doing isn't getting the job done, so he's going to climb up a little higher. He began in the valley of doubt, but he walks all the way out of that valley by faith. And he lives by the promises, not the explanations that God would give. He resolves that his problems are not too big for God, that his questions can just still remain questions until God chooses to reveal the answer. But he was still going to worship God. And that's, him. that's when he comes to the end and he says, I love it. This is a message for the new year. I may preach this again, New Year's. Although, although, Everybody say, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall there be fruit in the vine, and the labor of the olive shall fail. <laughs> but I, yet I will praise Him. What happened? Just a little different perspective on life, that's all. It was all the way, all the time in him, just like Jacob. Jacob had been running all of his life, blaming other people for his problems. And he found that night that the real problem was Jacob. Jacob, you've got to climb out of this. You've got to get up a little higher. And when he embraced God, and when Habakkuk embraced God, he just threw himself on God. That's when God began to bring him out of that depression and fear 
you know, it would do good for some of us just to embrace him right now. You've got a problem you've been dealing with. You've got issues that are going on in your family. Why don't you just embrace him right now? Leave your problem alone. Don't, don't talk about your problems anymore. Come on. Embrace him. And in embracing him, be faithful. Be faithful. Wait on God. Wait. God's going to work it out. All you're seeing is a partial glimpse of the story. What you need to know is the whole story. Amen. Make a better judgment. Amen. Lift your hands to the Lord right now and praise Him. Would you do that all over the building? My God, I praise You.